Anybody ever had somebody come go to a foreign land and return home? One of your children? I've had one of mine return home from this foreign land called Bethel. <laughs> My son is home. <laughs> and he brought with him somebody else. They're getting married next Saturday. I want you to meet Cheyenne, soon to be dropped. I finally have a girl who's going to take my name. <laughs> I've given a lot away, and they all lose my name. So um, Cheyenne, we're thrilled to have you. Her folks are in as well, all the way from California. Um, wonderful people, pastors, love the Lord. She's uh, just raised an incredibly godly home, and uh, they're in visiting, preparing. They're getting uh, the, you know, their dose of, we're giving another daughter away, and we're preparing. And Jenny and I are on the other side going, yep, we've done that before, uh-huh, multiple times. Uh, with three daughters, we, ours went back to back. I don't know about you. You, know, if, you, know, you face your children out, and you hope they get married separately. <laughs> 90 days apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. So, All right, if you have your Bible... I want you to open up to well, one of the most infamous verses in all of church history, 1 John 1, 9. Woo, going to talk about confession. A month ago, I preached a message to you concerning one of the things that I had to unlearn so that I could learn. Anybody ever had to unlearn something? Yes. Mm-hmm, me too. I'm still doing it. Um, one of, the, one of the lies that has, in my opinion, one of the, the, the teachings that has gone out over the body of Christ that has done damage, it did damage in my life, is that when you sin, the Father separates from you. Sin separates us from the Father. You ever heard that teaching? Yeah. It's prevalent. I, it's not just a Western culture thing. I, I think it's around the world. Uh, with that sin, you break fellowship, and until you confess that sin, you don't have a right relationship with the Father, and He doesn't talk to you, and He's kind of mad, and he, he just wants you to grow up. Anybody ever heard that? Okay. Good. I'm glad I'm not the only idiot in the building. It comes out of a teaching from 1 John 1, 9, that if you confess your sin, you are faithful and just to forgive it, but you have to confess your sin to get it. The other part of that teaching goes on along what I unveiled uh, a month ago about communion. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, it said, in the middle of the description of how we take communion, you better examine yourself, hot rod, or you're going to be in trouble. And you see people do this. When communion tray's going down, I got to go to the bathroom. I'm not touching that tray. I know where I was last night. I can't take communion because I'm not confessed up. And I don't want to, I can't take that because if I'll, I'll be under judgment. So I spent the entire sermon last month on talking about how that was a lie. When it says in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter, uh, verse, or chapter 11, verse 28, it says, examine yourself, had nothing to do with you examining sin. Zero. Had everything to do with them examining their motive for coming to take communion. 
Very clear in scripture. There were three things he identified. They had divisions among themselves. They had factions among themselves. And then they had this thing called motive. They were coming to eat dinner versus coming to take the Lord's Supper. It's not a huge issue in the church today because you'll see in a few minutes when we take communion, there's not a lot of meal there. You get full off of that, you weren't very hungry. So it's not a big issue in the church today, but we took that one little phrase, examine yourself, lest you come under judgment. Who in the world wants to be under judgment? I didn't think anybody did. Okay. So we exposed that one little phrase. Now I want you to watch this. We normally are really good in the Christian church today about taking one little phrase and twisting it to do something else it was never intended to say. I want to talk to you about truth today. Truth can be denied, believed, or stretched or twisted. You got that? Denied, believed, stretched slash twisted. What we did with examine yourself, we twisted that. You know why pastors preach that, that you've got to go examine yourself and get all your sin confessed up before you take communion? You know why they share that? Because they want you to stop sinning. It's a form of manipulation to control the body of Christ. We want people to stop sinning. Guess what? It's not our job as pastors, thank God, JR, that we don't have to make people stop sinning. It's not my role. It's not my role. It may be your role, but it ain't my role. It's not. Here's the reason why. What makes people turn? What makes people change? The goodness of God, not the whip. I have to browbeat you about sin. I'm going to talk about the goodness of daddy. And guess what? That'll entice you to want a relationship. And in the midst, he'll change you from the inside out. I don't have to put pressure on the outside of you. That's called conforming to something. I'm, I'm not into that at all. I'm into transforming from the inside out. And guess what? Jesus is doing it to me every day. Oh, you didn't know I still had issues. I know. Shocking. That's the pastor's supposed to be perfect in the pulpit. You know, we've got it all together. We, there's nothing wrong with us. Eh, wrong answer. Because I got plenty still working on. So I want to talk to you about this portion of confession. What role does confession play in the Christian life? We've been told if we don't confess our sin up to date, we're not in fellowship with the Father. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you the role of confession. So I want you to look at a couple of verses. Uh, I want you to go to 1 John 1, 9. I'm going to read this one first. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that true? That's true. I'll give you further explanation. We'll come back and read the whole chapter in just a minute. But you notice we quote 1 John 1, 9 all the time. Does anybody here know 1 John 1, 8? Uh-oh. How about 1 John 1, 10? Oh, a one. A lot of times we want to take scripture, pull one little section out, and make an entire doctrine on one. I warn you, don't do it. And, don't, and people that want to talk to you about that go, uh, did you read 8 and 10? You can question. Read 8 and 10. How about 1 through 7? What was John trying to say? Don't pull one. It'll mess you up. You'll get under condemnation. You'll get under guilt. You'll get under shame. If you just read 1, 9, 
There's one, eight, seven, six, five. There's a lot that goes with it. We're going to look at those in just a second. Second verse I want you to see that goes right along with this is James says the same almost kind of thing. He says, James 5, 16 says, confess your trespasses or your faults to one another and pray for one another. Why? That you can be healed. That's a good deal. Everybody up for that? I think it's a good trade. Then he says, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man does what? Key word there is righteous. I noticed some of you were praying for each other. If you have to be confessed up to be righteous, shouldn't you have interviewed the person that was just praying for you? I'm going to expose something to you today. If you have to be confessed fully up, not miss anything, not only the sins you committed, but the ones you omitted. Hello? If that's the case, you don't want anybody, according to James, praying for you. So it'd be like this. Hey, Mike, I've got some things I need to talk to you about. I'm going to confess some stuff. I need you to pray for me. Can I interview for for a second? I've been noticing you got an attitude, bud. Have you been confessing up? Are you up to date? Because I don't want you to lay hands on me and talk to, you know, talk to God for me because it's not going to be effective and it's definitely not going to be fervent and it ain't going to work. So stop. Are you good? Is that what that's saying? See, here's where we got it confused. What righteousness looks like. What does sin do to our righteousness? I'm going to divide this for you today. I'm going to show you as clearly as I can because I look across the body of Christ and it appears to me we're being browbeat by the enemy about our right standing with the Father and what sin does to that relationship. I got news for you. You know, when I met Jesus at 14, I was messed up. Then I met Jesus. And the next day, I was still messed up. How about you? Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. Is that an accurate description? Yeah. Now, the only thing that happened differently was what? My spirit was alive. I recognized something had changed. How'd that happen? Look at Romans. I'm going to show you another confession. There's two confessions we want to talk about, and then how they affect our relationship with the Father. Look at Romans chapter 10. If you look at the, again, I'm not pulling two scriptures. I just told you don't do that. If you look at the entire, I just don't have time to read the whole chapter. If you look at Romans chapter 10, the entire chapter Paul's writing here says, man, I want to talk to you about salvation. I want to talk to you about how you get in right standing with the Father. I want to talk to you about righteousness. Righteousness is simply just saying, I am now in right standing with Daddy. I'm going to show you how to do it. He sums it up with these two verses. This is how you do it. If you confess, there's the word confess, with your mouth the Lord Jesus, one, Two, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. What will happen to you? So what do you have to do? Pretty simple. You got to use your mouth to confess what? Jesus is Lord. There's only one way. One way only is Jesus. He's the man. I mean the man. The man, man. 
And if you get a revelation and an understanding that Jesus is Lord, you use your mouth to confess it and you use your heart to do what? To believe that he's alive, he's not dead. He was with the Father prior. He came to earth, lived. He was crucified, dead and buried. He rose from the dead. We're not serving a dead God. He's as live today as he ever was. That's salvation. That happened to me at 14. It was very simple. On the back steps of my locker room, my head football coach said, hey, do you know Jesus? I said, nope, nor do I want to know him. I'd been in church. He said, no, I want to tell you about him. Okay. And then he finished. I was like, you'd be an idiot not to want that. He goes, that's what I thought. I said, yes, I'll take that. So I did exactly that right there. I used my mouth to confess and I use my heart to believe. Now watch verse 10. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. Oh, there's that word righteousness where we were talking in James. What made that person righteous? Something we earned or is it something that was given to us? It was given. So if it was given to you, can you lose it? It is a free gift. We ought to really do a study on righteousness. Maybe somewhere down the road, I'll preach on righteousness. I don't know. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. All right, in that list, do you see anything about confessing your sin? Not there. So where do we get this teaching that you have to confess your sin and stay in right relationship with the Father? All right, look at me. Just take, take an example. Don't take my word for it. Let's go to Luke chapter um, 7. This is a story of Jesus being invited into a Pharisee's house. Pharisee's house, very religious people. They're running the synagogue. They're doing all kinds of great things. They're mesmerized by Jesus. Jesus is shocking them with the things that he's doing. One of the Pharisees said it this way, Jesus, we know you come from God. There's no way you could do the things that you're doing unless you come from God. We don't believe that you're from God, but we know you've come from God, but we don't believe that you are God. We're having a hard time with trying to figure you out. So this Pharisee invites him over for dinner. What he doesn't know in the midst of this dinner, a woman crashes his party. Not only a woman, but a harlot. Unannounced, uninvited, crashes the party. And he's got to be like, OMG, not at this moment. Don't act like you know me. Can you imagine this? I don't know her. I've never seen her day in my life. What's your name? This woman crashes the party. And in the midst of this, Simon, the Pharisee, says to himself, Jesus, if you were a prophet, dude, you would know this woman that's touching you is a sinner. And you would be shocked at what she's done with her life. I mean, good grief. If you're a prophet at all, you have some kind of knowledge of what's going on. And Jesus responded to him and talked to him about uh, two people that had debts. And then they were relieved of the debts. Who loved more? The one with the greater debt or the lesser debt? And Simon said, the greater debt. He goes, you've answered right. And then we pick up the story, verse 44. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, he's pointed at the woman, turned to Simon and said, Simon, do you see this woman? He goes, yeah, I don't know about this woman. He said, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. Verse 45, you gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in here. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, verse 47, I say to you, her sins, oh, there it is, it's what we're talking about, her sins, which are many, 
or what? Uh, did she confess any of those? From what I can recollect right here, she hadn't said a word. Hmm. Which her sins, which are many, are forgiven. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Verse 48. Then he said to the woman, woman, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table began to murmur within themselves, who can forgive sins? Then he said to this woman, your faith has done what? Show me in scripture right here where she confessed anything. I don't even think she confessed Jesus as Lord. Uh-oh, I just read Romans 10, 9, and 10 that she had to confess Jesus as Lord to get saved. She didn't say a word. What, are you preaching heresy, Jeff? I don't know. Might. Her actions made her confession. Her silence was deafening. What she did confessed who he was so loudly that the room was shaken. Do you think that woman was messed up before she met Jesus? Okay, she comes and she washes his feet, kisses his feet, anoints his feet. Do you think she is still messed up the next day? Or do you think everything just changed and she's, oh, I'm just wonderful. Uh, she's still messed up. Say, yeah, but Jeff, that's... Uh, that was before Jesus went to the cross. That was prior. That was in that transition period from the law to where John ended the law and Jesus is now living. How about in our day? Okay. J.R. preached last weekend on Pentecost. Remember the 3,000 people that got saved? Y'all remember that? Were you here? Okay. Okay, he preached a great message on Pentecost and what the Holy Spirit hears coming. 3,000 people after Peter preaches gives their heart to Jesus. I can't find anywhere where they confess a sin. Wow. Okay. If you go, well, those were Jewish people. That were God's people. Okay. How about the first Gentile and his family that got saved? Romans 8. Cornelius. When Peter comes and preaches there, the Holy, he can't even finish and the Holy Spirit falls on him. He's like, no, I, I'm not done yet. And the Holy Spirit falls on him. He looks around the room and goes, man, is there any reason we shouldn't baptize these people with water? And everybody's going, we have no idea what's going on right here because they got the same spirit we got. And we're Jews. We thought we were special. It's on the Gentile. I can't find there where anybody confessed a sin. Matter of fact, I'll give you one better. Do you remember when the angel visited Cornelius before he sent for Peter? And he said this, hey, uh, Cornelius, angel appears. How does Cornelius get an angel? And I've never seen one. I don't know how that worked, but I'm still asking that question. I'd, li I'd like to see one. He's not even saved. I've been saved 40 years. <laughs> anyway, side note. Uh, the, the angel shows up. And guess what he tells Cornelius? Hey, um, your prayers have been heard by the Father, and he sent me here to tell you to go send Peter. He's got something to tell you. Did he say the Father heard his prayers and he wasn't even saved? But you and I, when we pray, after we've sinned, God doesn't hear it anymore. Does that... Does that add up to anybody in the room besides me? Like, that's whoppy jaw. You got to be from Texas to know what whoppy jaw is. But uh, I think we've been duped about dad. So here's what I want to show you this morning. 
I want to show you the difference of what confession of Jesus is Lord, which puts you in right standing with the Father, and there's nothing that changes that because that's a free gift. Your sin does not affect your right standing with God one iota. That's good news. So what does this 1 John 1, 9 confession mean? What's that all about? Well, let's go to 1 John. Let's read verse 1. Let's look at how confession, what is the intent of it, and what's the purpose of it. 1 John 1, 9 is in this, in this body of Scripture. We're going to look at verse 1. That which was from the beginning. By the way, who's writing this? John. Is that the same John that wrote the book of John? Is that the same John that had wrote the Revelations? Yes. That's the same John has a brother named James. That's the same John, son of, he's the son of Zebedee, fisherman, not a preacher. He fished for a living. This the guy? All right? Just a little background on who's writing the book. Verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we heard. John said, we heard it. Not only did we hear it, which we also saw it with our own eyes, which we looked upon and our hands have held. They've handled him concerning the word of life. Who's the word of life? You can talk out loud. It's okay. We're in church. It's, it's fine. I promise you. The word of life is Jesus. He said what we basically said is I saw him. I was with him. I handled him. He came from heaven. He was the word of life. Verse two, that life was manifested. It made clear. It was actually evident. It was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and declare to you what? That eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested to us. Basically, this is what he's saying. Jesus was with the Father. He got sent to the earth. Isn't it funny how the introductions in Scripture sometimes get us to go, I have no idea what he just said. And we close our Bibles and start reading. This is basically what he said. First three verses. Hey, uh, I was with Jesus. I touched him. I handled him. I was with him. Look at verse 4. Verse three, we'll read that. That which was seen and heard, we declare to you also that our fellowship, that you can have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship was with the Father and his Son. Basically, he's just saying, well, I knew Jesus. Verse four, why is he writing this? Very important to catch this. Before you get to John 1, 9, you ought to know the intent of why he's writing it. Ready? Verse four, and these things I write to you that what? Why? That your joy may be what? Anybody know any joyful Christians? That word doesn't normally go together, does it? <laughs> Most of the Christians I've met look like they're weaned on dill pickle juice. They're not real fun to be around. John's saying here, I'm writing something to you because I want you to know God wants your joy to be full. Anybody ever been taught 1 John 1, 9 with joy? I haven't. But you're about to be. Well, that'd be different. All right, so what's the purpose of the writing? It's about joy. Got it? All right, look at verse five. So this is the message we heard from Jesus, and now we declare it to you. So we, now we have the purpose of the writing. What is the subject? Ready? God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. That's the, okay, we got the purpose to have joy. What's going to give us joy? Come on, people, read your Bible right here in front of you. What's going to give you joy? <clears throat> to know God is light and in him is no darkness. 
Okay? What's the subject? Light and darkness. 1 John 1, 9 was written with this subject in mind. Light and darkness. That's the topic. Light versus darkness in God is all light. That's going to bring us joy. Man, how do I tap into that? Let me tell you what happened when you got saved. Your spirit, man, was dead. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, remember when the little snake whispered to Eve and got them to eat of the tree? Now, if it had been Jeff and Jenny in the garden, we would have never ascended right there. <laughs> Let me tell you why. Because my wife would have never talked to that snake. It wouldn't have happened. My wife hates snakes. It would, I mean, it had been a different animal, but it wouldn't have been a snake. We, I'm not saying we wouldn't have fallen and we wouldn't have eaten of the tree. I'm just telling you, it wouldn't have been through that snake. Okay? When Adam and Eve sinned, they released a sin nature into the world. Everybody got born in that sin nature. Everybody got born in that sin nature. Now, what that revealed through the law is that we needed a Savior. Once we met the Savior, I'm going to show you what happened. Our spirit person comes alive. Our spirit man comes alive for the first time. Our sin nature is killed. We have a spirit nature now that looks just like God. We're full of light in our spirit. And God has done something in us that now lives on the inside of us versus being on the outside of us. It's on the inside of us. But we still have what? We still have a soul. What's happened to that soul? That soul has a lot of experience with the old sin nature. Did yours? Mine did. Did anybody find it hard sinning? I didn't. Matter of fact, I raised kids. They didn't find it hard sinning either. First words were, mine. How did, who taught you that? Mine. I get your hands off that. That's mine. I mean, that's the selfish nature. It, was, it came easy. I don't know about you, but lying was easy. Anybody else have, thought lying was pretty easy? rest of you are liars. <laughs> What's happening with you? So our soul has all this experience with our sin nature, but now we have a new spirit. Our new spirit is God the Father breathing Jesus on us with the Holy Spirit inside of us. And now we have this soul that's been messed up by the sin nature. And then we have a body. Does that leave anything out? That's kind of the makeup of it. Your body's going to lay down one day. Your spirit and soul are going to go to heaven. And we're going to get a new one of them. Hallelujah. After 55, I'm going to a new one of them. Give me a new one of them bodies, Jesus. You're going to get one. That's great. So when we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, our spirit comes alive. What does the confession of sin work on? I'm about to show you. It works on your soul. He's trying to free your soul. Because this is what happens. Your soul and your body have been in agreement. I don't know about your body, but it feels good when I send. My body agrees. Yeah, this is fun. Now, the effects of it later weren't so fun. But the initial part was like, wow. Do you remember the endorphins being released? You're a bunch of liars in the room, but yes. <laughs> okay. That, that sent, they partnered. It takes two-thirds, this is a democracy, it takes two-thirds to win. So I'm just trying to give you a picture of what's happening. When your spirit man comes alive, it's trying to convince your soul what? Change. 
That's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, you need to do what? To be transformed, you need to renew your your mind. So what your spirit man is trying to do is in in effect, uh, influence your soul so that your soul goes, that's right, I've been lied to. I agree with that. And when those two get together, guess what happens to the body? It has to line up automatically. Why? Because you have two-thirds majority in your body, and your, your physical body goes, man, I'm outnumbered. But for years, we have partnered with our soul and our body against our spirit, and they have outnumbered our spirit, and guess who we isolate? Why do you think the body of Christ is so miserable? That doesn't work. So God says, John, I want you to write about getting your soul free so that it can partner with your spirit, and that's going to bring a lot of joy. That's what he's after. All right? So where did we get duped? Well, let's look at it. God is light, to him is no darkness. Verse six, this is where the duping started. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If there was ever a verse taught with 1 John 1, 9, this is probably the one that was taught to you. If you say that you have fellowship with the Father and you walk in darkness, because in God there is, there is no darkness, and you walk in darkness, what is darkness? Sin. And you walk in darkness, you're a liar, and you're not practicing the truth, and the Father won't fellowship with you, and you've lost it, and he's done with you, and he's mad, and he's, not, he's hacked off, and he won't talk to you. So you better confess and get right back now, because you ain't going to go to heaven. That's not what my Bible told me about when my spirit man came alive, because it told me that I was as righteous as Jesus, because I took on his righteousness when I confessed him as Lord, and my sin had nothing to do with that. So what is John writing about? John's writing about his own life. That boy had a problem with sin too. (laughs) He learned the secret was, I'm going to unlock my soul by what? Learning to walk in the light. How do you learn to walk in the light? This is fellowship, not righteousness. You see that word right there in verse 7? But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. See that? What they've exchanged when they preach to you about this is this. They tell you that fellowship and righteousness are the same thing. Wrong. Righteousness is totally different than fellowship. I'm relating to the Father, but my right standing with him never changes. Now in my soul, I'm learning to relate. 40 years later, I'm still learning some things about dad, and I like it. Do you think I still got it all together yet? No, I do not. I still got attitudes and issues from my previous life called sin nature that's now dead, but my spirit man is alive and replaced him, and now I'm working these issues out in my heart so that I can have better fellowship, not right standing, fellowship, sweetness, wonderful relationship with the Father. And what does sin do? It deafens that to kill the relationship to the Father. That's what the enemy's after. He wants you to get you under condemnation, under guilt, under shame, so that you don't have a relationship with the Father. He doesn't have any other recourse. You've already given your heart to Jesus. He can't take that away from you. So he tries to come in and condemn you and make you feel guilty and full of shame to say, well, you're not good enough to have a relationship. Honey, I got news for you. You are never good enough to have a relationship to start with. 
And just because you started brushing your teeth and you got rid of bad breath doesn't mean you got any better. You got some people who want to be around you. Has anything to do with us? It had everything to do with what Jesus did. Now I'm trying to learn how to walk in that relationship. Hello? I got some things clogged up in my soul. I don't know about you, but my soul got some things clogged up. I'm a packer. Anybody else in the room a packer? I, I, I pack stuff. Jenny found out she pick at it long enough, she can get six months worth in one shot. I'll unload the whole thing on her. She's like, whoa, I didn't want all that. I said, well, don't pick at it. This is what I'm trying to do. This is what confession has to do. This is where he wrote 1 John 1 night in this position. Want a picture of it? I'll come back to 1 9 because I want to tell you what I see there. And then I'll tell you a couple stories and we'll be done. Acts 19. Don't turn there. I'm just going to quickly paraphrase it. This is where Paul's using the handkerchiefs and they're wiping it and they're putting, they're taking those handkerchiefs and putting it on people and their extraordinary miracles are happening. I want the ordinary. I hadn't even got to the extra part. I, I just want miracles. But, uh, Man, people are getting healed left and right, and demons are coming out, and there's some guys running around the country at that, that time that aren't saved that decide they're going to call on uh, Jesus to exercise demons out of people, and while they're doing that, they're using the name of Jesus uh, that they're borrowing from Paul, and they want to see some people free. And while that's happening is one of the demons uh, says, oh, hold the phone. Oh, excuse me. Um, who are you? I, I don't know your name. Now, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? And they're like, uh, we, we exercise you in the, in the name of Paul who uses Jesus. He goes, you don't have a relationship with me. So that demon jumps off of that person onto them. There's seven sons, seven sons of Sceva. It's in that chapter. And there's a Jewish priest. There's eight of them. And what, the, what happened is that demon jumped off and ripped all their clothes off those people and wounded them, and they went out streaking. It's the first time in scripture that you see a pack of streakers. <laughs> it's, a new, it's a new revelation. It's kind of a new thing. Uh, they did see a streaker back in Jesus' day. It's called the demoniac in the mountains. Now, Jesus put him in his right mind and clothed him, but these pack of streakers ran out. This became known. This is where we pick up the story, verse uh, 17. This became known to all the Jews and the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Man, they were like, holy cow, this is incredible. We know Jesus was this powerful. See, the demons in America are not this nasty. They're a lot nicer. The ones in Ephesus, they're ugly. Don't go there. I'm kidding. I'm trying to show you something. <laughs> He's demonstrated power over all the enemy because he already whipped him. Those seven, eight guys didn't know it because they had never met him. And they didn't have right standing with the Father, so you don't get the power and the benefit of the relationship without being in right standing. So they got stripped naked and run through the streets. The demon made an open spectacle. Pretty fun day. Look at verse 18. It came known to all men, and verse 18 says, and many believers, who? Many who had, these were, these were believers, watch. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. See that? What does that mean? 
They had some stuff clogged up in their soul and they wanted it out. They recognized that Jesus was a lot better than they thought he was, that what they've been told, and that he carries all this power. I want out. Did you notice they confessed their deeds after they were saved? What were they doing? Cleansing their soul. Things get clogged in here. People hurt us. Expectations of relationships fall through. We get wounded. Anybody ever been wounded? By a pastor? By a pastor? Mm-hmm. I have. I've been waylaid by pastors. By Jeff. Things get lodged in the soul. Your sin nature left some residue. The loving part of the Father is, I want to free you so your joy will be full. So where's 1-9 coming to this? Look at 1-8. When I saw this, I, I jumped for joy. 1-8 says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. What did that person say right there? I have no sin. All right, look at 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. You notice nine is wrapped by eight and 10. You know why? What he said in eight, what he said in 10 is this. If you've not sinned or you think you never sinned, you're in the darkest place of an entire world because you don't need a savior. That person's in the darkest place of all of life because they can't even admit they need a savior. And then he wraps nine right in the middle. If you just confess your sin, I'd forgive it. What is he confessing? They need to confess that they're a sinner. We don't have to name every one of them to get in right standing with God. It just says that we are a sinner and we need a savior. Let me show you, I'll show you this and then I'll tell you one quick story. I, I, was, I was looking at this this week, and the Holy Spirit said something to me I've never heard before, and it was just really precious, and I, I just love the, I love the heart of the Father. He said, Jeff, do you know when the prodigal son left home, did you notice as a father, this is a picture of a father, did you notice as a father, I did not chew him out going down the driveway? I let him go. Oh, yeah, I noticed that. Did you notice when he came back, I ran to him. There's a picture of a father, our father. I ran to him. I fell on him. I kissed him. I parted with him. It was an amazing day. Did you notice I did not quiz him on everything he had done for the last few years? I didn't ask him one question, and I didn't let him do anything other than receive my love. I said, yeah, I've noticed that. He said, that's the daddy I am. I'm not interested in condemning you. I'm interested in loving you so that you want to have what I have. It's called grace. It's called mercy. It's called love. Watch. This is what he said to me. He said, I don't do that anymore. I said, excuse me? Now, I've never heard the audible voice of God, but this is the thoughts running through my head. I said, excuse me? He said, I don't do that anymore. I said, why don't you do that anymore? He says, because I don't let them leave without me going with them. You remember when you signed up to get your spirit man alive? Guess what came with it? I will never leave you nor forsake you ever, even if you go into sin. If you go, I'm going with you. 
So wherever you go, no matter what's happened, he's there and he loves you and he's for you and he just wants to relieve your soul so that your joy can be full. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That's our daddy. Now watch. I'm going to close with this and we're going to take communion. A friend of mine had a uh, lady come to a meeting. He did a series of meetings in a, in a church and uh, for a whole week. She came the first night. She has crippling arthritis. She has some disease that her hands are all shriveled up. And she, she takes a little, little walker because she's got all this kind of thing. And she shuffles down to the front and she says, uh, I need to be healed. I said, great. They just pray the love of Jesus over her. Boom, her hands straighten out. Back straightens up. All pain's gone. She picked up the walker, said, thank you very much. Shoots right out the door. Glory. Little 65-year-old grandma saying, this is pretty fun. A lot better than the benefits of this, but a lot better than the benefits of what I have. She gets home. She gets stuff put away, and all of a sudden, her hands shrink back up. Her body curls back up. All her, all her joints start hurting. All her body, she's like, oh, I lost it. Must not be the will of God for me. Ever heard that condemnation, that accusation? That's not your daddy. That's the other guy. So she goes back to the meeting the next night. She shuffles right back down to the front. She goes, it's back. Must not be God's will for me to be healed. He goes, that's a lie from the pit of hell. My friend looked at him and goes, he showed you last night it was his will to heal you. There's something clogged up. There's something happening where the enemy has a right and access to you that we want to shut that door. She goes, go for it, Hot Rod. <laughs> he said, okay. So he stepped back. He prayed a couple seconds, asked the Holy Spirit what it was. He looked back over and said, uh, who hurt you? She's like, oh. And she starts tears. She said, 40 years ago, I was a young woman. I fell in love with a young man. He promised we were going to get married, taught me into having sex prior to marriage. I got pregnant and he left. 40 years ago, you know how religious spirits acted in the church if you got pregnant outside of wedlock? They beat the living pulp out of you. It's nasty and vile and that demon will tear you apart. And they did her. It hurt her. She had bitterness and unforgiveness in her heart toward that man for 40 years. Now, guess what that's happening? She got a new spirit. She's right with Jesus. But in her soul, she's got a little clog. That clog is bitterness. Guess what's happening in her body? Out of that, the enemy's using that as a window into her body. And now he's got her all crippled up. So he said, why don't you do this? Why don't you relieve that man, forgive him, and release him and bless him and watch what God does? She goes, deal. She prayed the most beautiful prayer over that man you had ever heard. She blessed him. She prayed for him to be overwhelmed with finances and that God would overwhelm him and his family. And she totally released him and said, in Jesus' name, amen. He said, now we're going to pray for you. He says, I don't need your dumb prayer about healing. She takes up her walker, the hands totally straightened out, walks right out the door. Puts her walker away, comes back the rest of the night, totally free, totally healed, goes to her grave, healed. That's cool. You know what some of you just heard? Condemnation. Well, something must be wrong with me. I can't get healed. That's the devil accusing you about your daddy. I spent an entire sermon here trying to tell you how wonderful he is, and you hear one phrase that says, well, you know, I'm, I'm probably sick because there's some sin in my life and God just won't do it. 
It's his will for your life. He's trying to help you free your soul. I've had people come down front to say, okay, what's happening? I just need to be healed. Um, you got any sin in your life? Feels like condemnation. That is not your father. Your father says, I love you so much. I, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. My job is to help you, though, reveal things so you can be free. If you're getting under condemnation right now, you need to tell the devil, shut up. Guess what? Your soul was sick before you met Jesus. Your soul was sick after you met Jesus. Hey, he's here to help you get your soul fixed so you can have joy. Amen. That's the whole message. Yes. Can I confess something to you? And we're talking about confession, so I might as well confess. I need to be healed. And I'm under not one ounce of the condemnation. I stand before you needing to be healed. When I was a young man, I didn't have a daddy to tell me some things that I needed to know. I shot a lot of shotguns without ear protection. I mowed a lot of lawns with a straight pipe muffler. While I was mowing those lawns to drown out the muffler, I put on a headset and listened to a sermon or some worship at full blast. I blew out the cochlea in both ears. I can't hear a whisper today if you whispered to me. I just couldn't hear it. There's certain sounds I can't pick up. Women's voices are very difficult for me. I need healing. Well, you must have sin in your life. You, can't, you know, if you can't get healed, you just got sin in your life. Shut up. <laughs> I got a daddy who loves me. He's already paid for it. He's already made a price for it. He's already going to give it to me. It's just a matter of time. I'm not worried about it. He'll do the same for you. All right? Receive the word? All right, we're going to take communion. I'm going to ask those who are going to serve communion to come uh, prepare for that. Remember a month ago, if you, did you hear, who was here last month and uh, heard talk about communion? All right, who was not here last month? Where were you people? I'm just kidding. I'm messing with you. I'm kidding. Uh, we want to take communion by not confessing our sin. It's really good. We want to take communion, do exactly what a communion said. We want to discern the Lord's body and we want to make a proclamation. That proclamation or declaration is that Jesus, his death, pro proclaim his death till he comes. When we do that, we get a great exchange. So we're not going to examine us. We're going to examine the lamb. So come serve us quickly. Thank you people for being faithful to come and help us serve. So they're going to serve you. When you get the elements, I want you just to hold them. And then we're going to take communion together. Don't take several pieces and eat dinner. That's a, that's a bad thing. That's not what he said do. But we want a great exchange. What we're doing is we're coming into this covenant we've made with the Father through Jesus. They made a covenant amongst themselves, and there's some great benefits in the midst of this covenant. And we stepped into Jesus, and we get all that the Father offers through Jesus. So it's not about us, it's about our lamb. Remember at Pentecost? Before Pentecost, we had the Passover. Remember they brought the lamb and spread the blood? They examined the lamb. We're going to examine our lamb and see what he did for us. So as you're being served, just hold it, and then we'll take it together and we'll be done. Y'all ready for a great exchange?
There's a spiritual exchange about to happen. There's bodies that are about to be transformed. There are, there's your spirit, man, that's about to influence your soul, man, right now. And there's going to be a great exchange. This is a weapon that has been lost in the body of Christ. And we think this is a ritual. And we think this is a tradition. And it has no meaning. Ah, wrong answer. This has tremendous power. There's people in the room right now about to have a transformation of their own soul in their bodies, and their spirit man is going to say, Woohoo! You ready? See, we get somber when we come here. Well, oh God, I got to start confessing my sin. Stop it! Remember how we get somber right here? You got to be quiet, got to be reverent. Don't touch that tray. Boy, you'll get judgment on you. Come on, people, lighten up. We want to have some joy. I like see you go out here full of joy. Your daddy's a lot better than we've anticipated him being. If somebody at some point would bring me something, I would like to take communion with you. Does that sound more joyful than what... Maybe the past teaching uh, across the body of Christ on confession. Sound a little more joyful? Hey, my son's home. You're the man. Welcome home, son. Share with your new bride. You only drink half the cup. I hear you, buddy. I hear you. I'm with you, man. I'm hungry for lunch, too. We're just not going to eat this as a meal. We've already seen that, that in Scripture. It's not good. All right, this is how we're going to do it. Remember, we're going to make a declaration. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Would somebody bring my worshiper? Would you bring her some bread and wine? Juice? Thank you so much. I want her to participate too. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do exactly what Scripture said in 1 Corinthians 11. It says we're going to make a proclamation of his death to change the world. In that changing of the world, that death turned all of history, not only for you and me, but for everybody in the world. Amen? So that's part of what taking communion. We're going to make that proclamation declaration. Second thing we're going to do is we're going to discern the body of the Lord Jesus, what he says. I want you to discern the body of the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? Every place Jesus bled was what? redeeming us from something from the sin nature. He's a redeemer. That's what he does. Every place his body bled redeemed us from something. All right? So I'm going to announce a few things, six, seven, eight things, whatever they are. I didn't count them. If that pertains to you, I just want you to stand. And by standing, what you're saying to your covenant partners, I'm invoking you that I need that. All right? This is how it works. Ready? In the first garden where the first Adam couldn't make the right willful decision, him and Eve got duped and they made a wrong decision. You go over to a second garden, there's, a, there's Jesus in that garden. In that garden, he sweat drops of blood over what? Over a decision. But guess what? He made the right one. 
redeeming yours and my ability to make right, willful decisions. If you're in the room today and you're faced with a difficult decision and you want to make the right one, stand up and invoke your covenant partner to say, you redeemed my ability to make decisions. I want to make the right one. I need your help, covenant partner. Second place, they took him from there. They arrested him. They took him in. The soldiers blindfolded him and beat the dog out of him. You have to be from Texas to be able to say that. But they whipped, I mean, they punched him. They pulled his beard. They, they, they brutally beat him. Isaiah prophesied that by what? Saying he would be bruised for our iniquities. Anybody in the room that has some family iniquities that have been chasing you down for years and you'd like to change bloodlines and get in Jesus' bloodline, get out of your own family's bloodline and say, covenant partner, I'm going to change bloodlines today. I want out of this. They, from there, they put a crown of thorns. They beat it into his scalp. He bled when they did that. What was that indicating? Back in Genesis, you remember when Adam and Eve sinned? What happened? The ground was cursed. What grew? Thorns and thistles. What did that represent? Labor and toil. Anybody in the room under a heavy burden of labor and toil? Jesus says this, my burden and my yoke is easy. My burden is light. If you're under a burden today on laboring and toiling, maybe you haven't found the right job, maybe you don't have a job, stand up and say, covenant partner, I want to do what you want to do and I want to make it easy. That's what covenant partners do. They took him over there from the, putting the crown of thorns and took him to a scourging post and beat him. If you need healing in your body today, he's already paid for it. It was prophesied before and it was, it was pointed to after it. I'm raising my cup to say today, daddy, I want healing. I want healing. From there, they took him from the scourging post after being beaten 39 times and brought him back and they put a cross on his back and made him carry that up to Golgotha and they killed him. Mm. That's where our sins got washed. That's where we got in right relationship with the Father. If you're not in a relationship with Jesus today, you can raise your cup to the Father. You can stand and say, I want a relationship with you. I want my sin nature killed. I want my sins washed. And I want to be in a relationship with you, Daddy. I give my life to you. Jesus, your Lord. I believe it. Second thing he did is he carried that cross. When I carried that cross, guess what? He said he took on every curse that was ever put upon us. Cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. If you've got a curse chasing you, stand up. It got canceled 2,000 years ago. All you got to do is appropriate it with your covenant partner. And then last but not least, after they killed him, they put him in the grave. And he didn't stay. He went down to hell. And he, over, he conquered death, hell, and the grave. And it says, prophesied in Genesis, that he would stomp the head of Satan and Satan would bruise his heel. Guess what he did? In that bruising of the heel, he overcame fear. Fear of death, fear of hell, fear of being alone, fear of everything, fear of heights, fear of anything. I'm telling you today, if you've got fear in your life, you've got a covenant partner that's already conquered all of fear. If you can conquer death, hell, and the grave, there's not another fear that you can't conquer. It's in Jesus. He's already conquered it for you. That's your covenant partner right there. That's discerning his body. If you're not standing, you can stand with us. Jesus, we receive your broken body shed, broken for us that we might have the life of God and we receive it right now. Thank you for your shed blood. Every place that you bled, 
redeemed us from something. We take that redemption, we bring it into our soul. We receive it out of our spirits right now. Everything you purchased, we want you to get. You've bought it, you've purchased it, we want you to receive what you paid for. We receive it right now in Jesus' name. You can put that cup right there in the seat in front of you. That's the ministry of the Father to you as a covenant partner. Amen? I'm going to ask our ministry team to come forward. If you need ministry in any way, if you're here today and you, you, don't, you don't know if you have a real relationship with Jesus, but you want one, you have questions about it, Brad is over here in the corner. Where's your hand, Brad? He'd love to talk to you about that. We'd love to answer any of your questions. If you have a question about knowing what it means to know Jesus, being saved, he'd love to talk to you, all right? Hey, Dad, thank you for your word. Thank you for the joy that you want us to have. Thank you that John was bold enough to write that we don't have to confess our sins to get in right standing, but we could confess our sins and relieve our soul. And Lord, help us, help us relieve our soul that our joy may be full in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, you're dismissed. Have a great full week of joy.